You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Here we go again, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully everybody's having a great week. Uh, It is Wednesday. No, well, today is Tuesday. When you're listening to this, it will be a Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. And uh, hopefully everybody's having a good week. I got a big check mark. There was a lot of stress in our family from the accident that my wife was in. And one of the stressors was that now we only have one vehicle, right? And my wife isn't cleared to drive yet. With that said, uh, yesterday we got a... A vehicle. We bought a vehicle, and so this vehicle that I bought, and I know I joked, uh, I joked about it in uh, one of the episodes that I did with Tony Peterson, but it sounds to me like my wife is gonna, my, my wife's happy with it, and so I think the way that this summer and off season is going, and the fact that the kids are gonna be in school this fall, and my my youngest is gonna be in full time daycare for pretty much the entire day and there's going to be activities to keep the kids busy man i really think that i'm going to be able to get out and hunt as much as i want to this year now with that said i absolutely love going and participating in my my kids events right whether that's baseball or soccer or football or dance like whatever it is i i love to be a part of that i love to go watch and and even coach and things like that so with all that said, uh, I I think I'll be able to get out a lot this year. Uh, my wife, you know, obviously things change, but um, I think my wife's in a good mood 
And I think that if that if I can continue keeping her in a good mood, some of that's me, right? I'm responsible for some of that. Some of that's her. but And some of that's my kids, which they're the wild card in this whole situation. Who knows what the hell they're going to do? But I think if if all things go in the right direction, I really think that I'll be able to get away with a lot of time in the stand this year. The issue with that is, is can I afford it? And I actually talk, we talk a little bit about this in this episode today. We got the host of the Truth From The Stand podcast. You guys have probably heard it, uh, Clint Campbell. And we talk about this whole inflation deal and how that's going to affect our upcoming hunting season. And man, if these gas prices keep going up like they're predicted to do, if we have $5 gas, $6 gas, who knows where it's going to go, right? But if it's going to be high this this time next, oh, during the hunting season, man, I might have to cut one, if not two, out-of-state trips off and just stick with South Dakota and that's it. Um, you know, I really wanted to get to Nebraska this year. I really wanted to get to Oklahoma, maybe Missouri this year. And I don't think those are going to happen strictly because of the cost of everything. Uh, I wish I could sit here and say, you know, I'm so successful that I, you know, money isn't an option. It, it's an, it, I got to think about it, right? It goes into everything that we, everything shit. We usually spend $200 uh, a week on groceries before this inflation kind of hit. And now we're spending 300 to $400. That is ridiculous for a family of five. And so I, and I'm the most asshole-ish frugal person that there is. My wife hates me for that sometimes, but uh, man, you, you got to feed the family and you got to pay the bills before you go on the hunting trips. And I'm just lucky that I have the access, you know, the, the funds to get away with some of that stuff, but man, it's ridiculous out there. And, and we talk a little bit about that today, man. We talk about, this is a, just a straight up BS session. We talk a little, a lot about out of state hunts. We talk about wind mapping. Uh, we talk about how deer use their nose to travel terrain. Uh, we, we talk, what's cool about this episode is we get into examples of different scenarios and how they worked or how they didn't work. Uh, we both share a, uh, examples and experiences of us failing. We both share examples of, uh, scouting techniques and uh, hunting strategy techniques that I think you guys are going to, going to enjoy. And it's a really fun episode. Uh, let me see here. I have a couple of things already written down. Um, how we pick our out-of-state hunts, wind mapping during the off-season, and if that uh, will help during the hunting season, and uh, and why I'm a huge fan of Bo Jackson, the football player slash baseball player, Bo Jackson. He's like my childhood idol. And we, uh, if, if anybody knows him, I would love to interview him. I wish I could have Bo Jackson on this podcast and I think I'd do a good job interviewing him. But with that said, so Bo Jackson, if you're listening, hit me up dog. Other than that, awesome episode coming your way. Now we do have to, I'm just going to mention some, uh, some, partners here real quick if you're looking for a saddle there's obviously 
one saddle company. There's more than one saddle available, but if you want uh, one of the best on the market, I mean, I've just been pressured by this community to try to pick up a saddle this year and give it a shot. And that's why I went with Tethered. Uh, Tethered it has been around for a while. It's it's the company that really brought a spotlight, in my opinion, back to saddle hunting. It was a fad a long time ago. And I think Tethered kept it from being a fad again and actually making it a legit, like just as popular as tree stands right so huge shout out to tethered for uh um, working with me this year i think you guys are going to enjoy some of the content that's going to be coming out of the tethered camp here on the nine finger chronicles wasp broadheads wasparchery.com dude love the people that work for this company uh fred doherty if you're listening man you're the shit and so um i love working with that company uh awesome broadheads a majority of their heads are made in america with some of the best material possible and that means that when that broadhead hits what it's supposed to hit and even in, on a marginal shot it's going to do a ton of damage and that's what you want for your broadheads uh, wasparchery.com and there is a discount code and that discount code i think is nfc two zero nfc two zero for 20 percent off i think or nine fc it's either nfc uh, this is shitty of me not knowing this nine fc two zero or nfc two zero try them both and then let me know what works excalibur crossbows if you're looking for a uh a crossbow from a company that's been around for a long time check out excaliburcrossbow.com tons of options to choose from obviously this is the uh, when I'm on my phone right now, whether I'm on the toilet taking a dump or I'm waiting on my wife or kids or like tonight when I go to dance, I'm going to be on my phone or on my desktop version of Hunt Stand and I'm just going to be scouring access routes. I'm going to be looking at public land options in different states. I'm going to see where the access is, food, water, all that stuff just through e-scouting. I'm going to be able to journal everything that I find. And then when I'm out there, I can go reference it and basically fact check those areas. And uh, Hunt Stand allows me to do that along with a ton of other functionality. And uh, I got a discount code for Hunt Stand. Uh, it's only 30 bucks a year, but you can get 20% off by entering the discount code SN20, SN20. And then we have Vortex Optics. Man, if you want a company that's makes excellent optics but is also run by excellent people i mean of all the companies that i've ever worked with uh, throughout the years of doing what i've been doing i know and keep in touch with more people from vortex than any other company that i've ever worked with or have uh, met so huge shout out to Vortex for making excellent products and having excellent people. And all that does is translate into excellent customer service. Uh, and they have that VIP warranty to back it up. So VortexOptics.com. Go check out their website. And lastly, we got ExodusOutdoorGear.com. I think these guys are coming out. They're, they're a trail camera company for the most part, but now they're expanding and they're getting into arrows as well. I don't know if they're out 100% yet. But keep an eye out. I think Exodus is dropping some custom arrows as well. So uh, cool things coming from Exodus. Other than that, man, thanks for taking time uh, to listen to those commercials because they allow me to do what I do when they pay me. So if you guys are looking for really high quality brands, man, anything that I just mentioned, Tethered, Wasp, Excalibur, Hunt, Stain, Vortex, Exodus, man, please go out and support those brands. 
let them know that you heard their, you know, me talk about them on this podcast. And what that does is it just verifies them, right? If you ever are on the phone with them or you're ever leaving a message for them from them, just say, Hey man, uh, you're working with the nine finger chronicles. That dude's legit. And so, uh, thank you for doing so. That would, that would mean a lot to me. Good podcast coming your way, guys. Uh, hopefully, you guys are enjoying the spring. Dude, it's almost summertime. Kids are almost out of school. It's time to get the bows out. It's time to start looking at the gear. And we got a lot of content coming in the, this summer. Probably looks like it's going to be pushed back to the late June, July time frame. Definitely into August. And as the all of the content starts coming in, uh, from for the hunting season as well man it's going to be one hell of a summer you guys definitely need to pay attention about what's going on here so let's get into today's podcast with my man clint campbell from truth from the stand three two one all right everybody once again we have clint campbell from truth from the stand podcast here and uh i like I said before we started recording, man, I have absolutely nothing planned or scheduled to talk about on this episode. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I love these uh, I love these sessions, man, where you just kind of go wherever the uh, wherever the conversation uh, happens to take you. You get me at my best time too, man. We got the early morning record session going on, so this is before like the day the day's uh, work fog has set in. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And I've and I've and I've run out of F's to give. Like you, got me, you got me with a full tank of F's. How's that? Oh, that's great, man. So it, it's almost like I take a little bit of priority out of your day today. Exactly, Dan. Uh, Dan, you are my priority today, man. Oh, well, how, I appreciate that. That makes me feel good about myself. Right. Well, there you go, man. Well, that's the thing, dude. Like we always, uh, we always got to be there to pick each other up, man. That's you right. Know, that's the that's the that's the deal. Not just hunters, but podcasters it's a grind yeah you know? every now and then it's funny man because you know there's sometimes you know you've been doing this for a long time and i've been i think i'm coming up on my six-year anniversary of of having the podcast and there's still days where i'm just like man i suck at this <laughs> <laughs> i try not to think uh i try not to think uh, about things like that ex far, uh, especially when it comes to like there's, I don't know about you, but when you're recording a podcast and at the end of it, you just, you, you leave it and you go, dude, I just yeah. crushed that one. Like I, yeah. I nailed that interview. I asked all the right questions, blah, blah, blah. And then there's other ones. I had one last week where I had mumble mouth and I was like yeah. just tripping over my words. And I, like I, in my head, it was it sounded great, but it came out, you know, all mumbly and, 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 and when you have to, uh, end a question with, you know what I mean? And, and they're like, I think so. Right. It's like you're, you're, you're not sure that you understand the question and you ask it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. In my head, it's perfect. But yeah. when it came yeah. out of my mouth, yeah. yeah uh, totally, totally been there, dude, for sure. Yeah. It's, it, I find that like, you know, I've, I've had a couple guys on recently where I've purposefully kind of gotten out of my comfort zone and had some folks on who, who weren't, I mean, hunting related, but it wasn't a hunting specific conversation. Yeah. And, and so you're trying to balance the, or walk the tightrope of, 
not sounding like a complete idiot, but being there to like also learn at the same time. Like I was yeah. talking to this dude, Kevin Estella, who is a survival expert um, and, and a wilderness expert of which I am neither, you know, it's like, I'm a, I'm a hunter. And, uh, and I was reading his book. And so I was trying not to sound like a fanboy, like, Oh, this is so cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. Trying to figure out how to ask the right questions and, and learn, but not, come off like a complete chode, which I don't know that I achieved either of those things. We'll right. See. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't, I don't go out and interview. I mean, I've on this podcast, I'm like, I don't know what episode I'm coming up on, but it's like 700. Okay. Right. And so I have 700 episodes and I, there's only, I'm going to say under 20 times in 700 episodes where I feel like I've, interviewed in industry, I guess, let's just say a hunting industry icon mm-hmm. or a big dog in that. Most of the conversations I've had have just been with regular people, people who um, have found success doing what they do their own way. And so I don't ever really get nervous, but like, and it, here's the other thing. It's hard. Cause if I could, if I could interview any person in the, that hunts, it would be my childhood icon, Bo Jackson, the, oh, wow. you know, running back for yeah. Oakland and, or LA and uh, baseball player for Kansas city and, you know, all like that Bo Jackson. Yep. And so he's a big archer and, and bow hunter and things like that. And so I like, if I could interview anybody, it'd be him. But wow. I, I think I've reached out to him for like two years now straight and no, really? no, no response. So no response. I need, that's great. And I, I would have never guessed if I were to guess if someone told me to bet any amount of money that was important to me and, and take a wild guess as to who Dan Johnson's childhood hunting idol was, I in, in a million years would have never guessed Bo Jackson. Yeah. And he is and he is a huge archer, like and a huge hunter. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily like a hunting icon to me, but he is a icon to me as far as you know sports and just like my youth right when when i was young i i thought bo jackson was the like he he for me he ranked above michael jordan he ranked above anybody ever and so uh bo jackson was it for me especially d- the dude was on a video game and he was Technical unstoppable ball. right yeah yeah 100 so. man i i played the like the bejesus out of that game and it's funny that you mentioned bo jackson because literally my dad he retired at the end of april and he he moved he sold his place in the carolinas and moved back to pennsylvania he has a a cabin in the woods that he built it's not a cabin it's a house he calls it a cabin yeah um and uh he's now in the process of like hey here's all the shit that you still had at my house oh (laughs) yes why don't you take all this crap you know and uh and so I was going through it, and there was like boxes upon boxes of baseball and football cards that I came across, and I had a bunch of like old Bo Jackson cards. Actually, had some like old like Ricky Henderson rookie card. Like as I was going through and looking them up, I was like, "Damn!" I was like, "I've got like actually some money like laying in this in this old box." Yeah, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I'll tell you this, man. My my dad from 1986 to about 1996. He bought me a full set of baseball cards every single year, right? And in that full set are every rookie that comes through in that time frame. And so, dude, I I got I have a 
I have thousands of baseball cards and comic books sitting at a, in a box in my dad's at my dad's house. And I, when my kids get old enough to where they don't use them as you know the the clothespin on the bicycle spokes, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm gonna. My dad saved is saving them all for me at his place. I'd love to go through and, and check and see who's there, dude. I, you know, like Frank Thomas, he was huge. Yeah. He yeah. was huge back then, and I have tons of his rookie cards. Yeah, you're going to have a ton of really good – like that's an era of players that came in during that time that are like – you know, like Bonds was in and around that area yeah. as well. Um, you know, that would be a great card to have. I don't remember what year his rookie year was. It might have been 86. Yeah, I don't know. Any early Bonds record – or any early Bonds card is going to be worth some coin. Yeah, absolutely. This I don't know why this popped in my head, but that's the Royd era, right? Just like everybody's yeah. juiced to the gills, and exactly. and so um, how crazy would it be if like the hunting industry took that same approach to whether or not a trophy was illegal or not, and it's just like breaking news: so and so tests positive for steroids <laughs> after they killed a, a record book buck, and then they're they're just completely shamed, and they don't they can't put it in a book and, and things like that. I don't know why, but that that would be hilarious. Yeah, well, what popped into my head immediately was like, what if they all walked around just like super jacked, like yeah. <laughs> just giants? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you see, uh, you know, I don't know. Lee Lukowski and he's like he's just like yoked <laughs> yeah like I don't know He he's kind of tall I think he's like uh, probably 6'2 or something like that but mm-hmm. just like two, you know 250 just lats out can't even put his can't, can't even put his uh, arms down I don't know that's yeah. funny yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> alright so so I gotta I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about this economy that we're in right now right and how it's going to affect um your your hunts this year so usually i i mean the past two years i've gone out and i've done two sometimes three out-of-state trips in a given hunting season gas prices are up everything's up right and and so i don't know what your situation is but i'm considering having to drop one if not two of my out-of-state hunts this year yeah no it's it's funny you mentioned that because i was having a similar thought this is probably i don't know maybe two months ago or so um i'm kind of locked in for the idaho hunt because that i already have a tag for that kind of a done deal but you know i did decide that i'm gonna fly because it's actually probably not much more not much more expensive for me just to make the fl- take the flight than it is for me to actually drive based on gas prices now. Yeah. So, I'm going to I'm going to fly that trip. Where it's coming into play for me was actually more around like my friends all make fun of me cuz I'm I'm like a I'm a I'm a tight ass with money. Like I just am, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I like it to see it leave my wallet. Um and so I some of it was around scouting and just trying to bundle scouting trips and in, in uh with other kind of trips to kind of kill two birds with one stone. So the one piece that I'd been scouting the big woods in, in the north uh, northeastern part of PA, you know, typically I would make a couple of trips up and I made one up in, uh, I guess, uh, I guess over the winter, uh, I made a trip up and did some scouting before things got completely buck wild. Um, and then once everything kind of got buck wild, I was planning to make probably two, three more trips potentially. And what I ended up doing was scrapping those trips 
and ended up just doing like a turkey camp up there to make one trip up. And then I stayed for like three days. And, you know, in PA, you can only hunt till noon, uh, spring gobbler, like the first two weeks. So I'd hunt till noon Saturday, then scout in the afternoon and all day Sunday. I can't hunt on Sunday. So I scouted all day Sunday. And then, you know, Monday, same thing, hunting in the morning and then scouted in the afternoon and basically got the rest of my cameras out and the stuff that I needed to get done. Um, that was kind of the big change because my plan was to spend a lot of time up there this year. And it's just, you know, it's not a far drive, but when I'm, when I'm pulling my, uh, my DIY trailer and it's two and a half hours, I mean, it's a $150 trip, most likely, you know, uh, round trip. Um, if not a little bit more on, on average, like that was with the old gas prices. So, you know, tack on, you know, another $2 and 50 cents per gallon, roughly, you know, for that trip. So, so that was one thing that it definitely, it definitely changed. Um, the other thing that it changed was that before, you know, things got completely buck wild or I ended up kind of putting in for Kansas again this year and, uh, I don't have any points. Um, you know, I'm just going to see if I can, if I can draw it and, you know, I, I love, you know, I had a great experience in Kansas last year and it's, it became one of my favorite places to hunt out of all the places that I've been. And, you know, so I definitely want to go back and try to redeem myself, um, you know, on, on screwing up a couple opportunities there, but you know, I'd be lying if I said I re- that I was 100% hoping that I draw that tag because there's a little part of me in the back of my mind that's going, man, it would be kind of nice if you didn't draw that tag this year because that's going to be an expensive gas trip pulling the trailer out. And I could just spend the year hunting, you know, that northern big woods piece and kind of focus that. And it'd still be a travel hunt because it's a couple hours away from my house. Um, so I'd still get a little bit of adventure, um, but don't have to spend all the money to get out to, out to Kansas and yeah. do that hunt. So you know, I'm kind of locked in. If I draw it, I'm going to have to go. Um, I'm not going to eat a tag just, you know, because of the gas prices and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, in the back of my mind, there's a part of me that just kind of hopes that hey, it'd be cool if this year, if I, if I didn't draw that tag, I'd, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, this is the first year I've ever put in for Kansas. And I kind of knew going into it that with my, with my schedule, I just went ahead and bought the preference point instead of applying for the actual tag. So next year, I think might be my, my first year ever in Kansas. So we'll see, we'll see what it brings, but I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of glad it, it worked out instead of applying for one. I just, I, di- I just went the preference point route and hoping that maybe next year things calm down, man. I don't know. It's like, I just keep seeing yeah. things go up and up and up and up and, and, you know, groceries doubled and my wife got it in a, an accident recently and so yesterday we bought a new car and of course it's not the equal car to what we purchased uh you know uh or that we had it's the step up and up so so now we have a car payment again and so ugh, it's just it's so gross like money's so gross i i i i like having it but i don't like you i don't like spending it or talking about it or watching like anything about it really yeah and to to your point it's like i don't know that i see an end in sight you know i would like to think you know we you know in a year you know or a year from now or a year from the fall or hopefully sooner but just you know be a little bit more pessimistic or optimistic however you want to look at it you know that you know a year from now that things feel a little bit um you know feel a little bit better but as things are kind of going it's like every time you you look at the news it's like there's something else completely ridiculous and stupid that feels like it's out of out of a freaking movie you know what I mean <laughs> that you're watching right it's like oh cool so monkeypox that's awesome <laughs> I was just like, gonna say that I was just you know, gonna say that 
you know, and then you got, you know, like we're, we're starting to trade barbs with China, you know, also, which is like, I don't know if you want to, if you want to play that F around, F around and find out award, you know, yeah, like, right. They're, they're not the most tightly wrapped uh, crew is, is what I gather, you yeah. know, but who knows, man? I mean, people that make a lot more money than me and you would hope are smarter than me are making those, those decisions. But <laughs> I think it, it, history, if we use it as our, uh, as our, our barometer, maybe I should be making the decisions. I, I, pro- I probably can't do any worse. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, you know, you ever been into like a local bar and mm-hmm. you hear two drunks just, you know, they've been there since the bar opened and they're just sitting yeah. there going, well, if I was president, I'd do this. You know yeah. what? I think we should just put one of those guys in charge sometime <laughs> and just kind of just see, cause it really can't get any worse really i mean we could probably you know that guy gets cocky and and uh, uh says well i'm gonna launch nukes at you know right. guatemala or what, whatever you know and okay buddy all right well we won't actually launch nukes but 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 we will do this idea okay cool you know like i, I there, there would be a couple fail safes put in place but the drunk guy at the bar probably has some good ideas maybe he might have some good ideas. I used to always refer to them, not necessarily the bar folks, but, uh, uh, you know, people who sit around coffee shops and solve problems, all, you know, all yeah. day, every day. I, I always referred to them as coffee shop profits. Yeah. That was like my, my term for them. I would hear, I would be bartending at a bar and there would be some <laughs> you know, skinny jeans person come in. It's like going to tell me like how the world works. I'm like, cool, right. man. Like, drink another latte, solve some more problems, buddy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I'm in that place right now where I'm just like, Hey, let's give it a try. You know, can't, it can't really hurt that bad. Could it? Right. Yeah, exactly. What gas is going to be $7 a gallon. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, but buddy. What about you? Do you have, are you, you have a, what trips you have planned this year? Well, right. Or what now, do you have on your docket that you feel pretty confident that you're going to be, you're going to be going. So, so here, like I already have my tag for South Dakota. Right. Mm-hmm. But, Nebraska is over the counter. Oklahoma's over the counter. So there's two more tags that are potentially on the chopping block that I had planned. Like if you were to ask me four months ago or at the beginning of the year, those are Oklahoma and Nebraska are, were locked in along with South Dakota. But I already I already applied for my South Dakota tag. It should be coming in the mail here pretty soon. And that's that's a guaranteed because I have the tag, but right. I also make a trip. Last year I made a trip out to Nebraska in September, and I did the uh, an early season hunt there. Tagged out in South Dakota in October, dropped back down to Nebraska uh, for a handful of days to try to get it done there. But I wanted to add Oklahoma first time ever hunting down there, and uh, so Nebraska and Oklahoma are now on the balance beam basically they could it could fall anyway you know i honestly if gas prices go up probably not going to go i usually sleep in my truck or get for the most part really cheap hotel rooms my south dakota trip is going to be a a pack-in hunt this year so i'll i'll park at a trailhead and then walk like a mile and a half two miles in set up and then go go from there but the other two i i really i kind of have stopped planning and looking at them at this point right now i kind of know where i want to go but i also don't want to put too many too much more effort into it if i know that 
prices are going to either remain the same or go up. I mean, they'd have to go, gas prices would have to probably go down a little bit for me in order to make uh, both of those trips happen, right? So right now, I'm probably just going to choose one, Nebraska or Oklahoma, but gas prices would have to go down for me to choose both. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I'm just curious, like how much, I'll be curious to see like the tag numbers next year. Yeah. Or like the, the states that are just, uh, that get a lot of out of state traffic. Right. You know, like the destination states, like essentially anywhere in the Midwest that, you know, has a lot of out of state hunters, you know, as, as part of their, um, you know, I guess tag purchasing. Yeah. I would have to guess that it's, it's going to go down. I think what you might see more of would be, would be my guess. Cause I even thought of this. I was like, well, maybe I don't draw Kansas this year, you know, or maybe I, you know, I get lucky and I don't, if I really, really want to make a, a little trip, you know, maybe I tag out in PA I was like, maybe I'll just jump back over to the spot. I like to hunt in Ohio. Yeah. You know, something that's a little closer, not, you know, not an 18 hour drive or 20 hour drive for me, you know, still cost a little bit in gas and stuff like that, but it's, a little bit more doable. I was like, or I was like, I just kind of stay closer to home and maybe I head down to like Maryland or Delaware or something like that and go to a state that I typically wouldn't hunt. Right. You know what I mean? And just, you know, cause it's only a couple hours from home and, and, and do that. But yeah, I mean, I think it probably put a lot, has probably cramped a lot of people's hunting plans. I would say, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm also looking at it through the lens of, man, I'm glad I don't have to put any food plots in this year. Cause I really don't want to pay. I'm glad I'm not pay, paying for diesel. Oh, diesel and fertilizer. If you're a fertilizer guy, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the, you know, what you were saying there about, uh, man, I, I just kind of lost my my train of thought. But the, just I don't know the 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 oh I knew what I was gonna say preference points right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have an elk tag. So not last year, but the year before, I uh, I bought a preference point based or I, I have like uh, I don't know seven years worth of preference points for Wyoming elk and Wyoming antelope and uh, I think five or six now for deer out there and so I the year COVID was really bad the 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 draw the draw odds went down or excuse me, they went up. So my the number of preference points that I had would have gotten me 100% draw. The next year, I actually applied, thinking that that was going to hold true for the next year. It went up three preference points. So all these people are sitting on preference points. They decided not to go. I wonder if this year is going to be similar. I wish I would have now applied this year. Right. And now yeah. next year, I'll probably apply for that elk tag in Wyoming. And now it's going to, now it's just going to jump up again. So I'm just going to be chasing, you know, chasing my tail the whole time trying to get yeah. into these spots. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Cause I know, um, I, I know like, like Kansas, for example, is a good example where a lot of folks, were, I mean, if you have one point, you're pretty well guaranteed, uh, right. Kansas tag. Uh, and it was even, previously if you didn't have any points like you depending on what unit you were going to like you still had a pretty good chance it wasn't exactly over the counter but it was about as good as you could get for a draw state yeah you know close to over the counter kind of uh purchasing you know i guess would be one way to yeah. one way to say it and from what i've heard it's kind of similar to you is that you know guys that used to kind of draw that state pretty regularly with no points like or just there's no shot anymore to to do that you know which i guess i'll find out i'll find out this year and i know even the so even prior 
so I think two things happened, at least in my guesstimation, is that prior to COVID and all that stuff, travel hunting became more popular, yes. right? Like people, you know, were more interested in it. It seemed like it was more feasible. Guys like me, you, the guys from the hunting public, whatever, talking about travel hunting and stuff like that, it just made it more accessible for people. It's like, hey, this is something I could do. And, uh, and then you tag on like the idea of COVID and, you know, people, you know, wanting to prioritize experiences because it changed how they thought about life or the, or the world or whatever the case is. So I think those two things together kind of has made it harder to draw, sta- uh, draw states. Cause I know whenever, I, even when I went to Iowa, I drew with four points. Yeah. Um, and I know that same year, I think Andy May was trying to draw and he, and he didn't draw like, and I think he had five points. Yeah. You know, so I just kind of got lucky, lucky that year. And so I think just overall draw states are becoming harder to draw for a, for a number of reasons, you know, which kind of brings me to the point that I was going to make, like, you know, one thing that I did this year was I actually, you know, because I want to just try to hunt a bunch of different places and see as much as I can possibly see. I, uh, actually got in with like a, 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 a company that actually will manage my, my points for me. So yeah. essentially they make a hunt plan for me. Yeah. And I sit down with them and I basically outline like these are the states and the species that I want to hunt. And, you know, they kind of map out a roadmap and say, all right, you know, we're going to be able to do this in this many years. And it basically takes three years for me to start to gain enough points. And then I'm able to basically draw a different state every year, like after the third year in perpetuity yeah. for a species that I want to chase in a really, really good unit. It's still all public land. It's like it's no outfitters or anything like that. But it's just kind of mapping out a roadmap so I can go see the places that I want to go see. Because one of the places I really want to go to was was the breaks in Montana. Yeah. And I was like, well, I was like, I'm never going to do that if I try to manage all these points on my own and try to get a good mule deer unit in Colorado and try to get to Wyoming. And, you know, so I was like, you know, I either just need to, you know, work with somebody who has way better knowledge of like the units. And I don't have the time to always do all the investigating for all these states. I was like, so I was like, why not just, you know purchase a hunt plan you know and i think it's something like 400 bucks and they manage all my points for me and kind of make sure i meet all the application deadlines and stuff like that and uh you know and, and it's kind of out of sight out of mind and then i know within three years i'll be going to a different western state every year after that for as long as i want to do it yeah what company is that i think it's called the draw the draw not, okay yeah I'm not mistaken super good dudes um you know chad actually uses them as well and it was actually a buddy of his that he went to Idaho with last year. I believe that that has used them for, I don't even know how long, like this dude goes out West and kills elk every year Yeah, and uh, really good hunter. And uh, he turned Chad onto it and, you know, Chad and I do a fair amount of hunting together. And so he was like, Hey, if you, if we want to travel West together, he's like, I'm building a hunt plan. If we want to map our, you know, our species and our States together so we can, you know, travel together, like you should get in, in on this plan. And so I called the dude up and we, we chatted. And the cool thing was, is I'm still managing like all my whitetail stuff because I yeah. know the I want to go there and it's not nearly as daunting as it is trying to manage Western, Western points and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Western hunts. Yeah. Um, but the one thing he does do is like, there's this little hidey hole in Texas that he knew about that is uh, public land, but it's by permit only. And it's in a baller spot that has just hammers and they only allow, I want to, I want to say something like he said, like five permits a year and it's not super well known, but like essentially working through him, like he can kind of navigate the the backwaters that need to be navigated to try to, to secure me a permit. Oh, that's awesome. So 
yeah so it's like like things like that like i I would do those types of things for whitetails i can go hunt like a really interesting place that's not well known that has you know really great caliber of deer and stuff like that um but by and large i'll handle all the whitetail stuff and he'll help me handle it's mainly antelope mule deer and uh elk is what um is what my hunt plan consists of yeah yeah i have no man like there's a lot of guys out there who are just like oh i gotta shoot a moose or i gotta shoot a kid like for me the only animal that I want to kill that is outside of the lower 40. Well, I guess they might have some in Northern Montana or something. I, I don't know, but I, before I die, I'm going to shoot a caribou, right? I'm not okay. going to be real picky about it, but like mountain goat, uh, bighorn sheep, like all that kind of stuff. I guess it's a, I'm too behind in the game to get some of those, uh, types yeah. of, of draws. Now I could go to Canada through an outfitter, uh, potentially Alaska to get some of that stuff done. But again, now we're talking 10 grand a hunt and plus on some of these. And I'm just like, dude, I just want to get the, like, I just want to shoot a mule deer. Uh, I want to mm-hmm. shoot an elk and an antelope and a caribou. And I think in the next 10 years, my, I think I, sh- I, hopefully I can be able to, I'm able to do that in, in some, right. in some fashion. But uh, I've been, I've been really close I just, uh, and I'm not talking about any type of trophies. I'm talking about just saying that, Hey, I killed an antelope once, or I killed an elk once or something like that. And, uh, you know, take that experience with me and take the meat home and and that kind of stuff. But, um, one thing that I've been personally looking at, and I haven't put this plan into action yet. And I want to hear what, what you have to say is like, there's States out there that non-residents can, can go and they can get multiple tags, right? And they can, it's not just like Iowa or uh, Kansas where a non-resident comes here and they get their one tag. You get one buck tag. There's states out there where you can get multiple buck tags. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at those states less about any type of trophy size, right? I don't give a shit about antlers, but I want to I go and hunt. And if I tag out on day one, guess what? I can go and potentially go hunt again and so i would love i'm I'm starting to look at states like that uh, and a lot of those seem to be in the south where you can yeah. get multiple you know multiple buck tags and uh I, I still think that from a traveling standpoint you're not going to find the biggest deer on public land down in the south or out west in certain states but it, it gives you an experience and a lot of experience if you want to I don't know if you want to go hunt and hunt a lot. And I think that, uh, that's kind of the direction I think I'm going to steer my ship in. Yeah. It's funny. <clears throat> I think if I'm not mistaken, I think Alabama is a multiple buck state. Oh yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think Mississippi is too. Don't quote me on that one, but I'm pretty sure Alabama is. Mm-hmm. Say is Oklahoma a multiple buck state? I think state? so. Yeah. I, I think, think it's so. either a two or a three. Yeah. And one place that I really want to, well, two places I really want to go for that, for that purpose is, is Oklahoma. I have a buddy who hunts a good bit in, in Oklahoma. So that's definitely one, one place I want to get to. But the one place I keep kind of coming back to for the same reason is Alabama. Because the one thing I always kind of think about is like, you know, Pennsylvania, I focus a lot on, you know, the early season and like, and pre-rut. And a lot of times around here, it's like, if it doesn't happen by then, you know, gun scene coming, season coming in shortly thereafter, you know, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, into late season, it's going to be 
really really hard with a bow at at, at that point yeah um, and then i'm usually gone during the rut at some point like f- during some part of early october late or i'm sorry early yeah. november late october i'm usually gone on like a trip somewhere and so pennsylvania is really kind of like early season through pre-rut and then i'm usually gone the other thing i would like to start doing is going to alabama because that's a state where you can catch multiple ruts absolutely so, so that's the thing that I kind of look at is like, man, it would be awesome to be able to catch like the pre-rut and PA because I know because I have intimate knowledge with the areas that I hunt that I know like certain areas that turn on, you know, especially in that like October lull time period where it's like I've kind of found some hidey holes where, you know, uh, some mature deer will start moving, especially in and around some of these community scrapes that I've found. And so my middle of October hunting around here is better than anything that I've ever had uh, during quote unquote the rut or the beginning of November. Yeah. Um, and then we can travel out of state, go to, you know, a Kansas or Ohio, or when I, when I'm able to draw Iowa again, go back to Iowa, you know, whatever the case is during that early part of November. And then I can kind of do the, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas with the family, stuff like that. And then I can leave and sometime in January after I've kind of fulfilled all the family obligations, head to Alabama and catch the rut yet again. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, just, I've, always kind of, I've, I've always kind of wanted to do that because I was like, man, I can catch probably if you time it right. And if you could hunt, you have a couple buck tags in Alabama, you could time it right. You can probably catch two different ruts in Alabama. Yeah. And so essentially hunt, hunt the rut like three different times in a year. Yeah. And that's why I like that, the North South approach where, you know, that third week in November, my uncle lives down in Kansas and that third week in November, he says that's when the rut is on and popping down where he lives in in Kansas. The w- second week is Iowa. And then so that first week in November is probably just a layoff uh, mm-hmm. type of because I don't, I don't know about you, but if I'm starting to go, I can come home in November for about three or four days and then leave again. And I feel like I would my wife would be OK with that. But if I start going three weeks, you know, I start doing that three weeks in a row, mm-hmm. it's it, it that that bridge would be worn down really <laughs> re, like if not just straight burnt to the ground. So right. I'm trying to I'm trying to plan these hunts like which is great about uh, September. I can throw in. Let's just say all things go well. I can go September. I can hunt in September in Nebraska, uh, take three weeks off, uh, even four weeks, five weeks, go to do my South Dakota trip, come back, have two, one or two weeks off, then do uh, Iowa, and then go to Oklahoma, Missouri, potentially back to, uh, you know, back there, back to uh, Nebraska if I don't tag out. Or the other option is, uh, hunt that first week in November, hunt Oklahoma, Missouri, uh, Nebraska before their rifle seasons kick in mm-hmm. because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess around with the rifle season in some of those states, yeah. and and they kick in like halfway through the month, ten days into the month, so you can hunt the first week of the rut in those states, uh, along with several other states before their uh, you know before their rifle season kicks in, and then come back to Iowa hunt that third week or that, that second late second third week, uh, and still catch the rut in Iowa. So I'm, yeah. I'm, these are all these things that I'm planning in my head. The, the thing that I'm, I can't get past yet. And I want to hear what you have to say about this is my farms. 
that I have access to in Iowa. I know when they're hot. So, but I always get into them a little bit early and I, it's hard for me to walk away from them. You know what I mean? It's hard for me to say, I'm going to put Iowa on hold this, this property that I know I can locate a deer through trail cameras. I can set up on them. Last year was a perfect example, located a deer through trail cam, set up twice on them, killed them on the third hunt. And so that's that it's, I don't want to say it's like fish in a barrel cause it's not, but yeah. I feel very confident in that approach to these farms here in Iowa. It's hard for me to walk away from that and go somewhere else. What What's your experience in that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally get the whole, it, that it's hard to kind of walk away from and, you know, PA is not, not Iowa. I, I managed to get into a couple good deer every year in or in around where I live on, on, on public and, you know, I usually have three shooters to chase. that will be anywhere from, I think the, the biggest one locally last year um, was probably in the fifties. I think um, just, he was a freaky, he had like a really, he was a non-typical and I'd never found a non-typical in all my years of hunting in Pennsylvania. I just kind of happened to happen to find one and I hunted him, but similar to you, it's like, I kind of know when my spots turn on, you know, and, and yeah. I really around here, I prioritize oddly enough, you know, that October, probably 13th through like the 22nd, roughly. Um, a couple of reasons is most people are out of the woods. Then um, they aren't spending a lot of time because they're, you know, deer aren't moving out in the open any longer and they're not fully in like their, you know, their, their rut movement of kind of traveling all over creation. And so people just, you know, think that deer aren't moving and I've just found pockets where they, where they are. And so I kind of prioritize my hunts around those dates. Now, I totally get the whole, you know, if I find, if I have something on trail camera or I maybe observe something from somewhere where I'm hunting and I want to make a play on it, then yeah, then I, then I'll hunt, you know, earlier in October or whatever the case is. My season comes in September 19th, roughly mid-September around here. I'm in a special regs unit, so it comes in a little bit early, but what I end up doing a lot of times during that earlier part of the year is I kind of try to stay out of, to your point, the places that I know well that are going to turn on at specific around specific dates. Um, and then I'll prioritize just kind of hunting maybe newer to me spots that maybe it's like, Hey, this spot's a fringe of this kind of core area of this one deer that I, that I was hunting last year. Let me kind of throw a flyer hunt at that. I want to check and see what the wind is going to do here. Cause I haven't completely wind mapped this. I need to, I need to know this better. So let me just go hunt this spot today. And so I do a lot of that during the early part of the season where I'm just kind of hunting spots almost as like really super extended scouting for even the, the upcoming year. You know what I mean? I'll get in there and, and see if, you know, there's any, you know, fresher sign laid down and, you know, like I said, kind of wind map the area and figure out my access and stuff like that. And, and last year I did that and, you know, had a really great encounter with a shooter and, uh, you know, just didn't get an arrow off. And, uh, and now it's one of my spots this year that I'm like, okay, I know now better how to hunt it. Um, and now it's kind of like one of the prime spots. I watched it with trail cameras. It's close to a big community scrape in a, in a signpost rub and deer are using it all year round so it became like one of those spots now that where you know it's now one of the five or six spots that i have where i'm like man i know when this is going to turn on i know the time frame that the does are like there's going to be a, a warm doe that's in here and like around the 18th of october you know so it i just i use the early part of the season to do that and kind of play the game similar similarly to you where i try to stay out of my prime areas um, and use that earlier part of the season as almost a, an extended period of scouting yeah you mentioned wind mapping. Um, mm-hmm. 
I want to talk about that for a second because that's one thing that I want to do more of, but every time I get into an area, uh, I, through a scouting, let's just say I go scouting and I'm trying to win map what this area does and whether it is in March when there's no vegetation or I'm doing it in the summer where maybe I'm trimming out a tree or I'm going to just set sticks up or uh, just kind of walking through a property and I get an idea of kind of what the wind's doing. But then November comes and that has changed because the vegetation has changed. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about how you wind map areas to try to, I guess, best guess what the what the wind's going to be doing in those scenarios in a different time of year yeah so i mean i think any piece of intel you can get you know regardless of what time of season it is is just is is helpful you know so totally understand and make make sense right so it it might be slightly different you know whenever you're uh you get in there in november and everything's off the trees or, or whatever but it seems like like trees are holding leaves longer and longer, longer than I can remember whenever I was a kid growing up. So again, around PA, when I'm hunting most of the time, you know, is that, you know, middle of October timeframe where I'm, I still have a fair amount of foliage on the, on the trees around here. Like they haven't usually dropped yet completely. And so my wind mapping that I'm able to do like over the summer when I'm scouting and stuff like that holds pretty true whenever I get into, uh, when I get into October, November, it might change uh, a little bit, especially if I'm in an area that's super dense and maybe it's like a, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of like a cut or something like that, or close to an edge of a cut where it's going to be like a big change. Cause it's going to go from having foliage into an open area to now, like there's no foliage on the trees into an open area. So now, you know, that, uh, I guess rollback effect, you know, or a rip curl, if you, a rip current, if you will, isn't quite as strong near that edge as it may have been earlier in the, uh, in the season. But essentially, when I'm scouting, I I'm, I always carry milkweed in my in my uh, in my bino harness. And when I stop at a spot, especially whenever I get to kind of uh, big community scrapes and stuff like that, I want to check the wind on that prevailing while I'm there to understand what what's what's happening and how a deer can maybe scent check that without getting you know super close to the to the scrape. Um, that way, you're not necessarily always having to hunt on the scrape and kind of get an idea of what's what's happening. And then every time I visit it to check a trail camera or whatever, and it might take me a couple seasons to do it because especially those types of areas, I try to stay out of as much as possible and run cell cameras on those, so I'm not, you know, stinking the place up with my scent and and, and stuff like that. And just make as few visits as possible. So it might take me two seasons of scouting and hunting it to wind map it to get all the different prevailing winds. Once you get like a handful of prevailing winds, you can kind of start to predict a little bit what the other winds are going to do because you'll get a good sense of like how much influence the thermals have there. You know, I, I make all, I, I take notes, you know, in whatever app you know you happen to use. I use uh, Spartan Forge, so I just kind of log my uh, my pin for my camera or like the tree setup or whatever. And every time I visit that spot, I just go into the journal and I write down what the prevailing is and I write down what my milkweed is doing, and I can get a really good sense of what's happening that place I was just talking about over that scrape with the uh, signpost rub. The reason I hunted that last year is because the wind was wrong for the place that I really wanted to be. And it was in that time frame of, you know, the October lull that I really liked that I was like, man, it sucks that the wind isn't right for, you know, one of the other places I wanted to really hunt. I was like, well, let's just go hunt this spot. I, you know, I wind mapped it whenever I was back the last time uh, when I found it, you know, I need to go back and kind of check it out and see if, you know, that holds true. And so I went back and, you know, got into a tree and, you know, it was a south wind, I think that day. I get a lot of south here, um, south and southwest. 
And when I got into the tree and I'm dropping milkweed, like it was blowing north. And so a south or southwest, anything with a south in that spot is going gonna, is gonna to blow north, which I thought was really bad for my setup, but it happened to be the right, the right wind for that setup. And I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have known that unless I walked in there and just hunted it that day and then just continued to wind map. So now I know, you know, if I get a north wind, typically you'd look at it and go, oh, that would be great for that spot. It's like, well, no, that's the wrong wind for that spot because it's actually going to blow south in yeah. that spot. So it's just, it's, it's, you have to spend time in some of those places to kind of understand what's, what's going to happen. And then I mark that on my, you know, in my app. And then I know whenever I'm looking at my weather, you know, that I'm have, you know, this wind direction or whatever the case is, I have a better idea of what I'm actually going to get into those, uh, in those particular areas. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about how deer, move on a wind shift like you know like you mentioned north versus south let's just north wind they shift south wind now you read a lot of articles or you hear people talk about you know deer just completely move uh, areas on a on a wind shift Mm -hmm. that's not what i witness right they're still going through the same terrain features just in a different way Right mm-hmm. uh, to put you know to uh, I don't put themselves in the best position for that wind shift. How do you? I'll talk a little bit about what I do, but how do you um, like shift with that wind in the same location because there's hot sign there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it as drastic as what some people kind of talk about either. I, I think that there's. Um, yeah, I think depending on where you're at, there's different different reasons for that. You know, I I think you might get a little bit more of a a, a truer you know wind shift in in areas where you know I'll, I'll give an example like so like in hill country I could see it really being prevalent there because whenever you get that yeah. wind shift, that bed might be completely gar- hot garbage. Yeah, the you bed, know? the bed. Yeah. Like I I agree with you there. Like I think when on a wind shift the bedding location will definitely change but not necessarily the 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 movement per se right yeah i think you know i think to build on that point i I think a lot of times where a a deer is bedding whenever they wind shift i I don't necessarily think that they're traveling like another ridge over for a better bed i mean because especially in daylight because what's more dangerous to them if you think about it right Is, is it more dangerous to just to slightly give up the wind a little bit and shift around this knob or over to this other, you know, high, high point in a swamp that's maybe 30 yards away to have a little bit better of a wind advantage, or is that safer? Or is it safer to walk in broad daylight through a, a saddle, a ridge away to go have a better betting opportunity? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think when we talk about wind shifts, I think, you know, depending on where you're hunting, you know, will kind of dictate how drastic they, they are potentially. And I think also the amount of pressure, because I think, I think deer, you know, they're ultimately, they want to survive. Right. And so if they have a safe path of travel and it's historically been safe, I don't know that they are as concerned with having the wind in that particular terrain feature. You know, how many times have we seen deer come, come through an area, tailwinding, crosswinding, wind in the, you know, wind directly in their face. I mean, you hear about it all the time. And so I think the wind, that it's you know critically important for them to survive, but I think there's places where they allow for a less than optimal wind because that area is just uh, well known to them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you always hear guys talk about, like especially you know that 
I got away with a little bit of uh, boogery with this one deer I was hunting last year. I was pretty well undetected, but I was really in close to an area that he was obviously super comfortable. I mean, he was bedding in the scrape, like, and it was out in the open. Like there wasn't a reason why, I mean, it was close to cover, but he was really laying down in the middle of this scrape with nothing really around him. Right. And so, and you know, I'm looking at the wind whenever I got the trail camera videos and stuff like that. And like the wind was wrong for him to be quote unquote wrong. Right. For him to be in that, to just lay down in that scrape for 35 minutes. You know, but what that says to me is like, man, he is so comfortable in that spot. That's his spot. Like he knows it inside and out. And he feels as though if there's anything amiss, he'll know about it well in advance. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where you have to kind of take the if you know the deer that you're hunting, you have to take into consideration their personality and what's their comfort level in a given area. I think that that also will kind of help determine how much a wind shift is going to affect them or, or potentially not, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And, and I love these conversations because just when we think we have it figured out, another deer comes along and does the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. Does the exact opposite of what we dude. I swear to God, there was a buck. I think it was three years ago that every deer, let's see, let's see, let me, get my bearings straight he was coming okay so on an east wind this is you know it's the standard it's the standard uh you know wind coming off the top going down into a bottom and the wind or the deer didn't have to skyline themselves at all they could catch all the scent coming off of the the top they were working that military crest right you know the Mm -hmm. that there's a trail right there and all that i have a trail camera and all the deer were coming um we're moving on an east wind, uh, southeast wind, northeast wind. They're coming through this little this little area. Sure enough, I, I look at this trail camera and I'm thinking about taking it down because there's no shooters on it. And so I I say, well, there's there's a couple odd winds coming. And you would think an odd wind would be an east wind, but I was like, okay, let me just let me just keep it up a little bit more. And sure enough, I let it soak for another three weeks before I went and checked it again. And on then we had these west, like a consistent west wind for like two straight weeks this summer. And sure enough, here this bu- here here this big mature buck shows up from I think it was like a year ago or two years ago. And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" This like he's doing the exact opposite that all these other deer are doing. Now he didn't stick around during the hunting season, but it just kind of goes to show you that these deer, like, especially when everybody thinks that deer use the wind, like they're, they're, they're using their nose as a defense mechanism. Don't get me wrong, but they're not walking head into the wind every step they take. Right. And it could be quartering. It could be right at their back. And it just, I don't know. It just kind of blows my mind, especially in the rut where they're so stupid they mm-hmm. they give up a lot to chase ass basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly, exactly man i mean yeah it's there's a spot that i've that i found a couple years ago that i really like um again there's a there's a big community scrape in this in this particular spot and um it's close to some water and it's it's really interesting cuz the there were I guess there were three decent deer in that particular area that I would consider mature for 
PA public land. They were three and a half years, uh, three and a half year olds or older, right? There were two that were like three and a half and one that I was guesstimating that he was probably four and a half. And it was interesting because on the same, like, so I was getting some intel on these deer via, you know, cell camera and kind of was watching them. And, um, and they were, and, and two of them were always coming from like the same direction. I'm looking at the wind and I'm like, okay, this is how they're kind of, how they're, how they're coming in. Right. And so fast forward to this year and I kind of had it like I, I watched, I hunted it a little bit last year, but really kind of watched it from afar to kind of, to learn what was going on. And uh, I thought I had a really good beat on these deer. And so I kind of knew what wind, wind I needed to hunt. And I kind of knew what direction they would be traveling from based on that wind. Right. So I, I hop in there this year and I want to say it was like October. It was either the 16th or the 18th. I can't remember what that Saturday was and hop in the tree. And I saw a couple deer, you know, earlier in the day. And uh, this is one of those things where it's like, even that time of year, it's like when I'm going in, like I'm going to do, I'm going to do an all day hunt, you know, in this spot. Um, and so I get in there and the water kind of helps you out with some, some thermal pool, like back toward the, back toward the water and stuff like that. And I kind of knew that. And I'm expecting all the deer to basically come from my East. Right. Cause that's where I'd seen those shooters coming from to kind of check this scrape on this particular wind. Right. And while I'm sitting there, I'm, you know, I saw a couple of deer kind of come from the general area that I thought they would come from. And then I'm about three o'clock, it starts to mist a little bit. And out of the corner of my eye, I catch some movement and I look and I, there's, there were two kind of like mainframe eights that were in this, in this spot. And one was a four and a half year old and one was probably three and a half. And the four and a half year old was clearly bigger. They had the same exact frame, only the older deer had slightly longer longer times and that was the one i wanted to kill and it took me a second to figure out that it was him and long story short was i didn't get drawn in time by the time i figured out it was the right deer i was kind of stuck out in in, in no man's land but what really screwed me up on that was that deer i never i saw him on camera one time and i knew he was in there the next time i saw him he came in on that wind that all the other deer were using the opposite direction he came in the opposite way completely backwards to what every every other deer how every other deer was using the wind in that spot if he comes from that spot that I, if he uses the wind the same way that all the other deer were using the wind, I see him well in advance and he gets an arrow, like no doubt, no yeah. problem. It was just the area that he came from. I had a lot less breakup and I had to make a lot quicker of a decision on whether or not it's like that was a deer I was going to kill. And it was all because he was using the, the wind completely opposite of every other deer though. So I wasn't really even paying attention to that area. I mean, I was, but it wasn't like, I wasn't concentrating on that on that area yeah you know if i had to put a percentage on it i would have said there was maybe a 20 percent chance the deer that i wanted to shoot was going to come from that area because he would not he would basically be giving up the wind coming in coming in on that direction yeah yeah do you think uh, do you think you got distracted uh by the other deer uh and you weren't like checking your six when he came in and, and... oh 100 yeah yeah yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like, I was, I've been I was, there, man. That sucks. Yeah, I was concentrating on where I had seen deer coming from. So I'm like, okay, everything I everything I thought about this spot is 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 true. Like I'm watching the activity around me, and this is where all the deer are coming from my east, right? Yeah. So I'm like, this is where I need to kind of focus my attention, and that was that was kind of the priority. I mean, I did the the normal scan around as you do when you're hunting, just to kind of check everything out or whatever, move slowly, and it was just there was no reason for me to look to my left. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. he made it because it was, it was damp. There was a bunch of swamp grass in there. So it was all kind of dying down. So it was all yellow and made like a nice soft bed to kind of walk across. So it wasn't like he was making any noise. I just happened to, <laughs> it was the time to check to my left. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he just happened to be there at like 
30 yards or whatever and was coming. You what know, time of year that. was that? Uh, that was, it was either October 16th or the 18th. Okay. So uh, still yeah. early for the yeah, most part. So, yeah. 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 I'm telling you, man, like the older a buck gets, the less they like other deer, except mm-hmm. when they're trying to breed. Like they just, like for me, I just, they stay away and then they just pop up out of nowhere and, and they may have been there the whole time, but they're, I don't know, man, they're just on a different, they're on a different level. Right. And, and they don't like being around deer. Uh, One of the best examples I've ever seen of this is a hundred. It was a buck that I had chased for several years. He pops out of this thicket. And he could have done what every other, he came from where the other deer came from. They crossed a little, a very small little ditch. They popped up. They went through my shooting lanes. Uh, If this buck would have done the same thing, 22, 23 yard shot broadside, I would have, you know, just maybe I would have had it, had him on the ground. right? Right. But these does, small bucks came through. He stopped, and the wind was in his favor at this point, and he's just scent-checking every single deer that walked through, and then he takes a hard right. He stays in the thick, nasty shit and just walks out of my life uh, for that year. And so so they know, right? They don't need to go – they don't need to be – like they they can smell other deer and go, nah, she's not ready. I'm not ready. You know what I mean? Like – Yep. I, I don't know. And, and then, then that's how they just stay hidden all the time. And yep. that's why it's, nobody has, you know, nobody has a ton of experience with a very calm, non-rutted buck because they they just aren't out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you, unless you know where it's, you know, he's laying his head and you exactly. can kind of break that circle of, of his comfort zone where he's going to, I don't want to say not be on guard, but he's going to have a level of comfort. that's going to allow him to be a little bit more relaxed. Right. Just find like, you know, the encounters that I've had with mature deer, especially around here on, you know, as much pressure as we get around here, it's like, man, they are, they're, they're keyed up and on point. So that deer that came in uh, the opposite direction, I had thought like by the time I recognized what deer it was, he was at 18 yards and took a handful of more steps. And now he cleared the last piece of brush that I had as like as cover to get drawn. So I was stuck out in no man's land. I could not, yeah. I could not, I was praying for a squirrel to bark on the other side of me. <laughs> just so he could turn his head. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, he saw me, you know, in the, in the tree, um, at that point. And then it was weird. He didn't spook hard. He didn't blow. He just, he took two big bounds and got maybe, you know, to 30 yards and just stopped again and looked back and then just walked away out of my life. But the thing was, like never again was did I see that deer uh, in, in terms of like uh, on the hoof, yeah. right? And never again did I see him on truck hammer the rest of the year. Yeah. Like so, he just became a, a, a phantom after that. But the cool thing about that particular spot was so for two years I've I've watched it and kind of and hunted it, but very strategically, um, and just on specific dates. I do a lot more hunting around specific dates than I do almost anything else. Yeah, uh, I pay attention to weather, of course, and stuff like that, but. I really kind of learned what dates are going to work for me in and around kind of primary, you know, community scrape areas. Yeah. And this, this spot here particularly has always been like the, the most mature deer that is in that general area. That's going to call that area home for the fall and, and for the rut. It's weird because these bucks usually use this area 
up until about the very beginning of the first week of November, and then they disappear. Like then they're kind of gone. Yeah. Like I don't usually see them any longer. But it's usually kind of what I was guesstimating from my trail camera data was like, you know, and what I'd seen just in terms of encounters was usually like that, like 13th roughly um, through like the 18th or maybe the 20th. Like I typically was going to get the most mature deer in that area. That's going to call that area, his fall range or his, his rut range. He will daylight and show himself and make himself killable. Usually one time in within that, like five to six day window. Right. That's the first time I'll, I'll see him in daylight. And so I've kind of, that's kind of how I had that encounter this year, but it's still just based on trail camera data. So you're just kind of curious, like, am I just getting lucky in those time frames? Like, yeah, I've got a couple years worth of data, but is it still just happenstance? So this year I was watching, cause I leave a camera up on that spot all year round. And this year I saw the first fawn drop and, and, and like a mom, a doe with a, a fawn came out. And whenever I backdated that based on like, you know, subtract like two or three days off the date that you saw her because it takes a couple of days for them to kind of get up and get mobile enough for mom to take them out you know and then backdate that 200 days from that day you know essentially where it was landing was october 15th is when that doe would have had to been bred. no shit so, early yeah so my trail camera data was correct so sometime in that week between the 15th and 20th is when a doe is going to get warm and come into estrus in that area yeah and which is I mean, it was awesome because it just kind of confirmed everything I had been seeing on trail camera for two years and everything I'd been observing while I was hunting because I knew that that spot always was early. And now I just got confirmation. Well, it's because that doe is is coming in. And the, and the awesome thing is, is that those does that are in that doe family are all going to share that estrus state. So as long as those does remain alive in that area, that spot's going to turn on that time of year every year. Yeah, man. I wish I had a, I wish I had an early season, like a late October uh, doe group that went in most of mine are in that uh fifth through tenth time frame like your typical right. y- you know i don't know it, it's it's earlier it's early on the peak but mm-hmm. as far as you know the 14th of of november being the peak it's it's before that and so yeah. the first the first five days of november on the farms that i hunt really suck i mean they're not right. there's not much movement but then things start to things start to happen on the fifth through the, you know, 18th in that time frame. So, right, all right. right. I have, I have one more question for you. All right. I'm, cool. r- I'm really close. Like there's a, there's a boat, it's a John boat for sale. And mm-hmm. I am th- considering buying it for one reason two for two reasons, one to run bank poles on the river, to catch catfish mm-hmm. Two, water access should I buy oh, the yeah. boat? A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> like, shut shut up. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, there's, you know, I have some water access around me where I live. Um, and it, it is some of my, my most prime spots. Um, and it's not even that it's like the best spot that you would walk into and think like, man, this is going to be great deer hunting. It's just for no other reason that it's the thickest, nastiest, shittiest spot in and around that area that, you don't want to walk to it. And if you do, you're going to blow every deer out within like a three mile radius. And the only way to hunt it effectively is to go in on the water. Yeah. And just a lot of guys aren't doing it. Some guys will do it. Right. And, and that's fine. But you know, you can find a lot more honey holes that way. The other part too is, is especially whenever I go out of state, like that's one of the things I always kind of look for. If, if the area that I'm going to, if that's applicable, 
right? Like, so, you know, if I can find a spot that has water or a lake or something like that, it's like, I kind of prefer that. And then just use a boat for access. Cause you cut out a lot of your headache in terms of pressure by using the boat, the spot I hunted in Missouri, it wasn't a big spot. Um, and it wasn't real obvious on a map either. Um, and the thing about it is that it's not a ton of huntable acreage necessarily. Um, but there's a lake and if you want to hunt it effectively, you really need a boat. Otherwise you've got a lot of long hikes around the edge of this lake, just based on where you can park and where the access is. Yeah. And I mean, Chad and I were there together. I saw, I mean, it was the last spot we stopped in Missouri because we traveled to three different spots and three different pieces of public in like six days. And we showed up, just called on a Friday in the afternoon after we left the, the previous spot, drove a couple hours, got to this spot, set up the, the trailer and walked in and within being there for, I don't even know, man, probably three hours. I saw a 150 inch deer that I almost got run over by. I was taking a leak and the, this, these deer came busting out of this thicket, this cedar thicket and a buck was chasing a doe and it was a giant and almost ran me over. Like I could have reached out while I was taking a leak and just like rodeoed him and grabbed him by his antlers. He ran by me that close. Dang. Yeah. It was actually kind of frightening for a moment because I thought I was legitimately going to get run over. Um, and then, especially with your same, pants down. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 literally, <laughs> I literally had the junk in my hand. Like <laughs> they, they got they got the full on frontal both of those deer. Um, and then Chad on the other side of this water, he ended up missing like a one thirty, and it was within both of us within two hours of just getting on dry land. Yeah. And then the next day, he saw. Uh, well, he actually as soon as he got on dry land, he actually ended up jumping like 160 inch deer, like within a half hour. Yeah. And then, uh, I ended up hitting one and losing it the next day. And then Chad ended up seeing that like, you know, mid one thirties again, the, the, the following day and just didn't get a shot opportunity. So we were there for literally 36 hours and had like four encounters. Two of those encounters were with the 150 to 160 inch deer. Dang. And it's a little honey hole that holds really great deer. Like I knew from some locals that we talked to that, there's a particular part of this area that no one really hunts it during bow season, but gun season, it does get hunted and they'll pull like a handful of Boone and Crockett deer out of it every year. No shit. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of like my little honey hole that I, that I kind of know about and it, you can't hunt it with, if you're not going to use a boat, you yeah. know? And so for me, it's like, that's, it, it you, you got like, I, I would like to get a John boat because that's a spot where I probably wouldn't trust my kayak that I use. I use a kayak around here in a lot of places. But that's a spot there where the water was large enough that I don't know that I would trust my kayak to kind of get around. Yeah. Ugh. All right. I guess I got to buy a John, boat now. <laughs> yeah, John, boat is, John boat is in your future, my friend. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, dude, uh, we've been chalk, chalk, chalking, talking, chalk. chatting and talking for uh, over an hour now. Clint, man, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit here and BS with us. Uh, thanks, man. And uh, good luck this upcoming season back at you brother uh glad your uh, your family's well glad your your wife is healing up and everything's good on the uh on the on that front and uh good luck this uh, uh, this upcoming season